to be here, a joy to be with you, to be up here in the cool weather. Was it 92 last weekend, wasn't it, I think, when we left, when we were in uh, East Texas? So uh, this is nice. We're enjoying this. And Mark, appreciate the invitation to be here. Um, fell in love with Northeastern back in 2014 and have been coming every year since and love to be here. I'm not going to uh, give you any new information today. I'm just going to tell you that right off the bat. I hope to remind you and encourage you of some things that I'm sure you already know. Um, I am a uh, director of missions, so I get to work with pastors and church leaders, and uh, it's a joy to bring pastors up here. You know, pastors are the subject of a lot of jokes and stories, and let me tell you, hang around them and you hear a lot of those things <laughs> just for a little bit. You know, I was talking to, to Ben, we had to go, we were, uh, we landed on, uh, in Albany on Tuesday, and uh, about an hour out of Albany on our way to uh, Vermont, our check engine light came on of our rental car. Mm. So after dinner, I had to drive all the way to Burlington to the airport up there to trade out cars, and Ben rode with me, and he was telling me about something that had happened. His wife, Lynn, had gone on a weekend retreat, and Ben, going to be a good husband, so while she's gone, I'm going to clean the house, deep clean the house. I mean, he was, he was cleaning places that hadn't been seen in decades, you know. And he even, he even cleaned underneath the bed where nobody looks. And when he went to clean underneath uh, Joe Lynn's side of the bed, he found a box. And he thought, look what that box is. And he pulled that box out and he opened it up and inside that box were three eggs and $2,001 bills. And Ben told me, he said, I don't care what was going on. I was concerned about this. So uh, he put the box back. He thought, you know, that's hers. I, I'm not going to say anything about it. But she came home, and it just bugged him. He said, I, I couldn't, couldn't keep I had to talk to her. I had to talk about it. And so, you know, Ben said, Jolene, we need to talk about this. I found this box under the bed, and her head kind of dropped, and he said, I, 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 need to under, I need to know, it had three eggs in it, and it had $2,001 bills, and I, I, I need to know what's going on, and she said, well, he, he said she was just downcast, but she finally said, Ben, here's, here's what happened, when, when you started preaching, I decided that every time you preached a really bad message, I was going to put an egg in the box. If you preached a really good message, I'd put a dollar bill in the box. And Ben said, I just kind of stood up. And he said, I was kind of feeling good. <laughs> there were only three eggs. And there were $2,001 bills in that box. He said, I feel pretty good. She said, well, Ben, the truth is, when you get a dozen eggs, you got to sell them. <laughs> Brought him back down to earth real quick. <laughs> You meet Ben over here. Ben's a big guy. He needs to be brought down to earth <laughs> on a regular basis. You know. and that's an old, old, old preacher joke, but it's still a good one. I like it. <laughs> People have opinions about preachers, don't they? All the time. If you're a pastor of a church, you hear those opinions, not always when you want to. And People have opinions about preaching styles comments on it. When I was pastoring a church, my 
mother and father-in-law came to visit us, stayed the weekend, came to church. Sunday morning when the service was over, I was standing at the back of the service shaking hands as people are leaving the service, and my father-in-law got there, and he shook my hand real firm, and he said, I didn't fall asleep once during that one. <laughs> I just didn't know what to do with that. Is that good? Is that bad? I don't, I, don't know, I don't know what that meant, but that's what he told me. And, of course, people have written things about preachers and preaching styles. Francis Wright, in the early 19th century, he said this, When did preaching do any good? Put something in the place of those things. Fill up the vacuum of the mind. Ralph Waldo Emerson from the New England area, he said, I like the silent church before the service begins better than any preaching. Gandhi, Gandhi said, an ounce of practice is worth tons of preaching. And the, probably the most famous statement that I think of about preaching came from Francis of Assisi. You may have heard it. He said, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. I want to tell you, there's a, there's a Greek word that describes this philosophy about preaching. That Greek word is hui. There's a Hebrew word that describes it. It's malarkey. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, the Apostle Paul would not agree with those statements about preaching. He had great disagreement with them. And as much as people might like those statements, and sometimes I've heard preachers use Francis of Assisi, quote him in a positive way. The truth is, is that if all I do is good things, and I don't ever tell them who Jesus is, then all they do is think I'm great Amen. instead of Jesus. We have to preach the gospel, and Paul certainly believed that, and he taught that. When he wrote his letter to the young man that had learned under him in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he let him know what was important as he practiced the work of being a pastor he told him this, and you've heard this passage before in 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine but according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. And they will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. Let's pray together. Father, I pray this morning that you would speak through your word. Lord, I pray we would hear from you today. We've heard men speak and we've heard you speak, and we'd rather hear you, you speak today. So, Father, I pray you would speak, that we would be encouraged and challenged, exhorted, Lord, to know what really matters and what must be done. Thank you for your grace and mercy. I pray your blessings on our time together today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Paul tells him, preach, preach the word. All the time, preach the word. Why? In verse 1, he says, because God is our witness. God is watching. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus. God and Christ, they are here. He is here today, watching. He's here when that church meets, watching. He is our witness, 
And before him, we must preach the word. We must preach the word. We're in his presence. And he is the judge. He says, before God in Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead? You see, he's the one who measures. Man always has an opinion, don't they? Everybody's got a thought about what you preach and what you say and how you did it. And when you missed, one time I was in a church and I preached a message and a, a, a senior adult lady came up to me. I was going to say old lady, but that's just not proper. A senior adult lady came up to me and she said, you know, I really enjoyed that message because there was not one grammatical error. And I was pretty impressed with myself that I could speak for that long and not make a single grammatical error. I told that to the pastor afterwards, and he said, yeah, she was an English teacher for like 45 years, and she critiques him every week on any grammatical error that he makes. Well, is that the highest goal? Listen, I don't care if I made a grammatical error or not. Maybe I did or I didn't. But what matters is that I preach the Word. My audience is those people that we're preaching to, but it's also the Lord because he is going to judge what we do, right? One day you will stand before him and you will give an account of what you've done with the gospel. Have we preached it or not? And let me tell you that, not only will we be judged for what we do with it, but those who listen will be judged. And so we need to preach the word because there is a judgment coming and everyone will stand before him give an account. And when so many have not heard the gospel, when so many have not heard God's word accurately, passionately, authoritatively, anointed preaching, there are many who are going to stand before him and not know the gospel. We must preach the word. We must preach the word. There are so many. He says that, he alludes to that in the end of verse 1. He says, because of his appearing and his kingdom. And I take that idea of his appearing as the future, right? He will appear in the future, and then we will all have to give an answer, won't we? But because of his kingdom, well, his kingdom is not the future. His kingdom is now. You know, we preach the word not just for eternity, but for today. Because people need to know today, and they need to live by his word today. We need to know what his word says about how we live our lives every day, not just in the sweet by and by. We need to know how we're going to live. We live in that kingdom today. One day we give an answer to the judge. And one day we will all stand before him. But today the kingdom is real. It may not be real in many people's lives, but we want it to be, don't we? How does it become real? You've got to preach the word. We must preach the word. I mean, in, in a very true sense, we need to understand that eternity is at stake. With so much dependent upon our obedience to this exhortation to preach the word, it's no reason that when Paul begins verse 1, he says, I solemnly charge you. In essence, to say there is nothing more important than what I'm about to tell you now. Preach the word. Nothing more vital. It's hard to imagine more being at stake than what is at stake when you stand in a pulpit, when you talk to someone on a street. We've got to preach the word. So much is at stake. And the message is always appropriate. I love this. Verse 2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. It's always appropriate. Whether we think so or not, 
it is always appropriate, in season and out of season. Whether it's on your agenda or not, it's appropriate. Right? doesn't matter. God's Word is always appropriate, in season and out of season. Now, I know in Texas, deer season is about to start up. And these guys over here are all extremely excited about deer season starting. And you may have heard the story about uh, the two guys that were out hunting, and they shot a deer. They had a long trek, about a, about a two-mile walk back to the truck. So they grabbed that deer by the hind legs and started dragging it back to the truck. And as they're going along, they passed another guy, came upon him. He was going kind of a different direction, but crossed paths with one another. And this guy also had a deer. He's pulling it by the antlers. And he says to these guys, I'm telling you guys, if you'll pull that deer the other way, it's a lot easier because the antlers won't be digging into the ground while you're dragging him. And then he went on and they looked at one another and said, I think that might, that might work. So they grabbed the antlers and started pulling if they'd walked a couple hundred yards, one of them said, you know, this is a lot easier pulling the deer this way. And the other one said, yeah, but we just keep getting farther and farther away from the truck. <laughs> I know. Some of you are still, you ask somebody next to you and they'll tell you what happened, okay? And then you're going, I don't know what he's talking about. That makes no sense to me. But that has nothing to do with preaching the word. I just wanted you to hear that story. Because every once in a while you need a good deer season story. <laughs> you see, it doesn't matter if we think it's appropriate at the time that we're with somebody or sometimes in church there's a temptation. Maybe I don't know. It's always appropriate. The message is always appropriate in season and out of season, on your schedule or not on your schedule. That is the inconvenient truth. The true inconvenient truth is that God's word always is appropriate to be brought. And let me just say this too. You don't have to be living it perfectly to preach it. Because if you wait till you're living it perfectly, you'll never preach. There are no perfect preachers in the world. Right? It is truth. Whether I live it out or not, it's still truth, isn't it? And it still matters. I can't wait till I have conquered this area of my life in God's Word to then talk to other people about God's Word. I will say this. It gives a lot more weight to your message if you can live it out. It gives you some audience sometimes that you may not have if you live it out. In fact, if you just totally live a different direction, it destroys your ability to preach the Word. But the Word is truth. It doesn't matter whether you live it out or not. And it speaks to everyone. It speaks to saints and sinners alike, doesn't it? God's Word applies into everyone's life. He says this in verse 2, to rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. I like that, rebuke, correct, and encourage. I want you to think about these, this way of thinking about those words. To rebuke is to speak to the person who is in open rebellion against God. You know anybody that lives in open rebellion against God? God's word's appropriate for them. To rebuke them is to say what you're doing is going to destroy your life. If you keep walking this way, you're not going to get where you think you're going. Your life's going to end terribly. Let me share with you what God's word has to say about what, what needs to happen in your life. That's to rebuke them. And the truth is, many times we let people walk down that road, don't we? I don't want to lose their friendship. I don't want the confrontation. We content 
to let them die and go to hell and at their funeral to be able to say, yeah, but I was always their friend. I mean, wouldn't it be better to risk losing the friendship to give them the message that gives them eternal life? Preach the word. Sometimes even believers fall into open rebellion, don't they? And they need to hear somebody. Somebody needs to have the courage to talk to them, to bring them back. Because the Satan has fooled them, they have bought into a lie, and they need to be told. You're walking down the path that's going to lead to your destruction. Even in families, sometimes mostly in families, it's hard to have those conversations that need to be. Based in God's word, we need to rebuke the one who is in open rebellion. But the next word that he uses is correct. And I think about this as, as dealing with a different person. To correct someone is to deal with someone that, that needs wise counsel. They are repentant. They want to do right. They're repentant, but they need some wise counsel. They need to be corrected. They've walked into the wrong path. The person in open rebellion is not going to listen to correction. They need to be confronted. But, but the, sometimes, you know, <clears throat> sometimes we do fall into sin. Don't we? we fall into poor attitude. We fall into, you know, poor language. We fall into uh, a life where we're just lazy in some area, and we need somebody to correct us. We need to be corrected by God's Word. You know, the truth is you can fall into sin. I've never seen anybody fall into righteousness. Have you? You ever seen anybody just fall into being a really good person? No. You don't just fall into following Jesus. You, you decide to do that, right? You make a conscious decision. Somewhere along the line, somebody talked to you and corrected how you were walking. And we all need that correction, don't we? You guys are in school. You get corrected all the time, don't you? I mean, I never did. I made hundreds on all of mine. But Ben, I'll pick on Ben today. <clears throat> no, you know, we need correction, don't we? It makes us better. God's word corrects us when we're straying off that path. And that third word is encourage. To encourage. Not everybody is in open rebellion. Not everybody is straying off the path. Some people have just become faint-hearted and discouraged. It's gotten hard. They're going through something that's, that's difficult. And they need somebody to encourage them. They need to hear from God's Word. The song that we sang, right? He's with you in the fire. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. These are the Lord's promises. And maybe today you're not in open rebellion and you're, you're walking a pretty good path, but you're just kind of worn out. Let me tell you, the Lord will not leave you. He is with you. One of my good friends, uh, Billy Crockett. Billy was a, a musician, still is a musician, but a songwriter and a Christian songwriter back in the early, mid-80s. He made a little bit of splash, not much, but a little bit. And Billy uh, was kind of a blues it's kind of odd to have a blues Christian artist, right? But he was kind of a blues guitarist guy, fantastic guitarist. And he had a song called The Bottom of Life. And he talked about this, I mean, it was this great blues song. about That's what blues is about, right? Being at the bottom of life. But at the end of that song, he said, what I found at the bottom of life was not God's hand reaching down, but that God's hand was there to catch me when I hit. You know, the Lord doesn't reach down in that pit to pull you out. The Lord's hand is already there. 
waiting for you to land to lift you up. Sometimes we need that, don't we? Everybody goes through those times when we're just, we're worn out, we're discouraged, faint-hearted. God's Word encourages us. Preach the Word. You see, it's not enough to give somebody three steps to feeling better about yourself. What we need is God's Word. The truth. The truth of God's Word to lift us out of that. Now, I'm in favor. I was a youth minister for a long time. I'm in favor of doing whatever it takes to get people in the room. You know, that's what youth ministry is. If you got to take a pie in the face or, you know, give pizza to 100 people or whatever you got to do, do whatever it takes to get people in the room. But when you get them in the room, don't waste it. Preach the Word. Preach the Word. Because what difference does it make if they all get in the room and they don't hear God's Word? They need God's Word. But the truth is, God's Word is not always welcomed, is it? In chapter two of the, or chapter three of this uh, letter, he writes some about false teachers. But in chapter four, he starts talking about the listeners of those false teachers. He says in verse three, the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. He says in verse four, they will turn away from hearing the truth and turn aside to myths. It shifts from the false teachers to the listeners of false teaching. The people who embrace this false theology. And he says, that will happen. There will be people that were rejected. And what we know happens, there is a great temptation at that point to chase after the person, the group, that wants to have their ears itched. Warren Wearsby said that itching ears soon become deaf ears. People turn away from the truth and they believe these man-made fables. We've seen it happen, haven't we? Over and over and over again. Historically, we see it happen in modern day. Modern day churches, it happens. And you notice they embrace this validation thing, right? This, uh, they want to hear their, uh, he says, according to their own desires. They multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. Validate me. Make me feel better about who I am. Make me feel better about what's going on, going on in my life. That is never ending. I want you to think about this two ways. This shallow teaching. You know, false teachers teach false doctrine, but often it's shallow teaching. That all it does is it makes you, it, it leaves you feeling better about your emptiness. But when you walk out the door, you're still empty. But there's another side of this. I think, I think we can sometimes, we often will fall into intellectual teaching. That is, teaching that is so deep that embraces the intellect, but it never challenges the actions. And there are many people who, they don't like shallow teaching. They want deep teaching, and they want to spend time in the, in the minutia of Scripture and the deep theological ideas that the truth is nobody will ever truly be able to understand here on this earth, on this side of the return of Christ. They get so in love with Revelation, they never want to read Romans. And you know, the, the truth is, J. Vernon McGee said this, I love this, he said, there are a lot of people who know a whole lot more about the Antichrist than they know about the Christ. 
We, we need to challenge that idea of this validation. I feel much better about myself because I heard three ways to feel better about yourself. Or I feel better about myself because I now know a whole lot more than you do. And I understand that on a level you'll never understand it. Now, I don't apply it. I don't actually do anything. But boy, I know it. Listen, we have to be careful not to fall into that trap of itching the ears of the person that's listening, of just telling them what they really want to hear. We've got to speak truth. We must preach the word. We must preach the word. And I, I say this to some pastors and people who are teachers and preachers and students, you're preaching, you're in school, you're, you're wanting to do this, right? I know this is a big deal here at Northeastern. But I want to encourage you to keep doing it. Because sometimes you don't see the results that you want to see, at least in the time that you want to see them, right? You don't see life change the way you wish life, life would change. You say, you know, I preached this. I heard about one pastor. He, he preached a message. He thought it was really good. He had people up there in the service telling, man, what a great message. And the next Sunday, he preached the exact same message. People came out and they said, that was, that was good. That was good. The third Sunday, he preached the exact same message and people came out and said, I think he's losing it. <laughs> Finally, one of them got up the courage and said, Pastor, you know you've preached that message three weeks in a row. And he said, yeah, you start doing it, and I'll go on to something else. <laughs> you know, the truth is, is that we want to see that life change immediately, don't we? But we don't. It doesn't happen like that. Stick with it. Keep preaching the word. Stay true to God's word. And you'll have some people that won't like it, that will kick back against it. Keep preaching God's word. And you'll lose some friends because they don't want to hear it. And there'll be people that will reject you personally. And they will say things about you. Keep preaching God's word. Because it is the word that makes the difference. And God is watching to see what you're going to do with his word. And to see how you handle his word. Keep preaching God's word. And the truth is they need to hear it whether they want to or not. Now you do your best to be loving and gracious and merciful, Right? We don't beat people over the head with it so they don't want to hear it. We're loving and gracious and merciful in how we speak God's Word, but we don't shy away from the truth of God's Word because that is what makes the difference. Because if they don't know God and they don't know His Word, they don't know His Word, they don't know Him. Without that, it's eternity in hell. And we can't do that. We can't decide to feel better about ourselves and not have so much conflict, and not have trouble if it means that other people are just going to go to hell. We can't do that. Preach the word. But I say that also because there are some here who are in a church, right? You're just a member of a church. And let me just encourage you to embrace the preaching of the word, to demand the word be preached from the pulpit in your church to hold accountable those who are preaching and those who are putting people in that place, that we must have someone who preaches the word because otherwise, what are we doing here? Right? right? And that means embracing the preaching of the word means e even when it pricks my heart and it pierces my soul, and maybe especially because it pricks my heart and it pierces my soul, 
I must demand and embrace the preaching of the word. Because that's what makes the difference, not only in their life, but in mine. You've got to want to hear the word preached. I love the music. Y'all did a great job leading, leading music. It was great. But I'm just going to tell you, we need the preaching of the word. Right? The pinnacle of the service is when you get to the time of decision after the preaching of the word. When finally we say, okay, now what am I going to do? Right? That's the highlight. To me, that's the highlight. And sometimes, y'all know this, pastor will stand down front, there'll be an invitation time, and not a soul will walk forward. And it'll happen week after week after week, and you can get discouraged and downbeat, and maybe ought to do something else. No. Keep preaching the word. Because I don't know what happened in the pew that nobody told me about. I don't know what God is doing and how he's moving, but I know that he's only going to move when I preach the word. So I've got to preach God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and the joy you bring when we hear your word, when we embrace it, when it changes our lives. And Lord, we pray. I pray for this group here that you have put in a place to teach God's word, to encourage and exhort others. And you've put people here who are hungry for it. Because we are in a place that's not different than East Texas. We're in a place that desperately needs your word. And Lord, I pray that you would burden our hearts not only with your word, but with those whom you love so much that you would send your son Jesus to die on a cross. Father, that you would break our hearts for the world around us and that we would share with them your word so they might find salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.